Hi, I'm Brant Phillips, and welcome to my podcast, Own, Don't Rent, Control Your Destiny in Business and in Life. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Colton Mortgage, and my belief is our successes and failures fall on our shoulders. 2008, mortgage crisis had hit home, and I realized we cannot be passive players in our life. We must take action to control our own destiny. Now, to be able to reflect back, I'm proud of what we've accomplished at Colton Mortgage, and I want to bring you the advice and the tools that I've learned that have helped me during my career. I will also be interviewing some of the most successful business owners and self-starters in the world, and the lessons that they've learned can be applied to your own experiences. Join me. Warren Jason, uh, Brant Phillips here with uh, Colton Mortgage and uh, Own Don't Rent podcast. Uh, appreciate you joining us today and wanted to take just a couple minutes to highlight who you are, what you're about, and then, then get into conversations. But uh, very interesting guy. I uh, appreciate you making the time today to to uh, talk on the podcast. Uh, you obviously are, are uh, a multifaceted person. You have a lot of similar interests as I do, but from a business perspective, uh, you've, you've been a minister, you've been a teacher, you're a coach, an entrepreneur, uh, multifaceted business owner, and uh, a lot of those areas uh, touch on on certainly my personal interests as well as I think a lot of our, our listeners' interests. So, uh, Love to love to have you just take a couple minutes. Tell us about, you know, how you got into ministry, which led to, to teaching, which led to entrepreneurship and owning businesses and, and, you know, where you are in life today. Well, Brent, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, hello to all the listeners out there. This is a podcasting is such an amazing media tool to get uh to get people connected. Uh, I know that when I started my podcast um, back in 2020, I had no idea how many cool people I was going to meet. And uh, really, uh, honestly, Brent, you know, that's how we met because the people that were helping me with my podcast are helping you with yours. And it's just, it's such a great, cool network. It's, it's not quite like being an author. It's not that level yet, but it's close. I mean, when I tell people I have a podcast, they're like, oh, well, that's cool. And you, Brent, you'll have the same thing happen to you as you continue to do yours. Uh, so thank you for having me on here, man. It's it's an honor to be to be here today. So um, how, how did I get into ministry? Well, that goes back to a, that's a long story. I'll shorten it up because I don't want to be boring. But so when I was in high school, I wanted to be a car designer. I was very much into art. Uh, I got accepted to two art schools. I wanted to design cars for a living. And I, I got accepted to two art schools that were very, uh, had great programs around industrial design, which is what you need to do to be a car designer. Because I love cars, love motorcycles, love anything that goes fast. I like, I've always liked that my whole life. Well, I've always known Jesus my whole life. Grew up going, you know, going to youth group, being part of church, going to church camp. Well, the summers of my uh, years in high school, I spent pretty much the whole summer at camp. And I would go for the week that I was the camper. And then I would stay the other weeks and be a, a counselor to the younger, you know, the younger grades. And there was the summer between my junior and senior year in high school. I remember we were you know, I had great friends who were counselors and, um, you know, it was one night, like all the counselors do, we're up late, you know, out by the campfire, just sitting around talking and laying on our backs, looking up at the stars and stuff. And I remember having this overwhelming sense of feeling that this is what I want to do for a living. 
you know, by that time I'd already been, I'd already gotten acceptance letters to the art colleges. Everything was on track, but I thought this is what, this is what I want to feel. I want to feel this, this way of connecting with people uh, needing, I want to, I want to connect with people on a deeper level, make an impact and in a way that I wouldn't, wasn't going to be able to do designing cars. And so I felt the proverbial call into ministry at that point, thinking I, I'm going to go into youth ministry. So I remember coming home from a church camp that summer and talking to mom and dad. It's like, Hey, yeah, I think I'm not going to do the art school thing. After all, I want to apply to, there's a local university here in, in Nashville called Lipscomb university, which is a small, small private university to focus on uh, Christian, Christian ministry, et cetera. And so I applied, got scholarships, got accepted. And, and that's how I entered ministry and left car design behind. <laughs> and your, and your folks at that point said, thank God he can at least make a living as a minister instead of an artist. <laughs> well, I would have made a lot more money designing cars. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. A whole lot more. So, uh, you know, again, uh, Jason Duncan, the real Jason Duncan, uh, we're talking to today. Uh, we talked a little bit about, obviously, your start out as a as a minister, and you know, part of my podcast is is own, don't rent, and and really, um, you know, we touch on this each podcast, but really, what that means, I'm in mortgage lending. You know, obviously, we are a big proponent of home ownership, but the own, don't rent philosophy really goes beyond that. It it, it really is, you know, taking ownership and control of your life of, of, you know, owning your relationships, owning your opportunities, owning responsibility, owning your assets, owning your home, et cetera. And, and I'm just a believer that that creates freedom, wealth, happiness, uh, and, and a lot of opportunity when you, when you take that ownership approach to really anything that, that comes across in life. And I think it, it, it's going to be an interesting topic of discussion because of, of your experience from ministry all the way through coaching ownership of, of many different businesses on. And what I find interesting about your, uh, your background is, is that, you know, um, I got into mortgage lending and it's all I've done my entire life. And it, and it looks like from your background, you know, you've done some very different business opportunities where it seems more challenging at times for individuals to, you know, go, go from one industry doing a particular type of business to an entirely different type of business. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm excited to have the listeners or listeners hear about that, but tell us a little bit about, again, that transition from ministry to, to teaching. And then if we kind of segue into, to coaching, cause I, I have some specific questions, you know, personally, um, on coaching that I'd love to, to hear about. And I think our listeners would like to as well. So, well, the transition from ministry into teaching was, again, more of a, a, a shift in what I felt like I was, I wasn't able to make the impact in ministry that I had hoped, which is ironic, but I, I had, I spent 13 years bivocationally being a minister and what that means bivocationally, about half of that time I was working another job, full-time job while I was supporting, supporting my family ministry and another full-time job. So two vocations bivocationally. And then um, the last six or seven years of that, I was full-time in ministry. And when, and I certainly don't mean any disrespect to my, my fellow followers of Jesus out there when I say things like this, but you know, once you get behind the curtain, 
and you see what's really going on in the institutional church and what's happening behind the curtain, how the sausage is made, so to speak, it, 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 it's not always very pretty. And, and I know my situation is not everyone's situation, but I know that what I saw um, was not exactly what I thought I was getting into. It wasn't what I signed up for. There was, uh, you know, I don't want to air all the dirty laundry, but there were some things that I, and I didn't think I didn't like. And then furthermore, I felt like as the person up front being the speaker on behalf of this organization, I felt like I was babysitting people who knew better and they should be doing better and they don't do better. They just show up and, you know, they just show up and wait for me to perform like a, like a, you know, grinder monkey with a you know, the little orchestra. And then, and then they go on about their day. And, and, and I, I, that, that was my perception of what had ha- what it had turned into. And again, my experience is not everybody's experience. Now, my faith in Jesus didn't waver at all. I was still firmly convinced that he was, you know, he, he was, the, he was my Lord and savior, but I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I made the decision. I, I just can't do this. So what can I do to make that difference that I wanted to make at night? I was laying on the, my back, looking up at the stars at church camp. How do I get to that place where I can make that difference? And it was then again, the proverbial call into teaching. I felt like, okay, well, this is my sh- This is my chance, my opportunity to shift into some place I can make a difference. And so within two weeks, and this is not even an exaggeration, within two weeks of that decision kind of codifying in my brain, like that this is happening, I was sitting in class um, at the university working on my master's degree. It was, it was like, it was fast. So I went back to school, got a master's in education. I did an 18 month cohort program and accelerator program with 17 other adult learners who wanted to, you know, who, who either were teachers and just wanted to master's or they were shifting careers like I was. And, um, it was fantastic. And I spent four years in the classroom as an eighth grade American history teacher. And, uh, it was one of the best things I'd ever done. I, I experienced so much joy and fulfillment being a school teacher. Uh, I can't even, I can't even begin to describe how amazing it was. It was so phenomenal. Transition story number three, <laughs> because coming out of the Great Recession, uh, the education departments all across the United States were dealing with with uh, budget cuts, and I didn't have tenure where I was teaching, even though I was the number one teacher in the county in my subject area. Um, I was on the chopping block when they had to make cuts coming out of the recession. So the moving from 2010 to 2011, that that school year, uh, my contract didn't get renewed and I was left having to make another decision about what to do. And now my decision wasn't as much about choosing, do I want to go make a difference somewhere? Or what do I, cho- it was like, I got to pay a mortgage. I got to figure that I got to figure this crap out right now. I don't have time. And uh, my bills were higher. I have two kids and things are different now. And I don't get to make these leisurely choices about what now it was real life. And uh, I made the decision to go into entrepreneurship. I started a business and, you know, I'm very, very lucky and blessed that it worked out really, really well. And uh, so now I've, I've have, I've got 12 startups under my belt. I don't own all, I only own five still to this day, but I, I've been involved in 12 startups. So it's been, it's been a cool ride. Fantastic. So on that top, are you, are you in Tennessee? Is that where you're kind of, yeah, I'm just North of Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We have an office in Nashville and, and uh, uh, I've lived in Hendersonville myself for about three years. Uh, yeah, that's where my office. I got an office in Hendersonville. And I live in Gallatin. Oh, okay. Yeah, I lived in Hendersonville uh, from 2007 to twenty eleven. So, yeah. Oh well, we were here at the same time, time, man. Yeah. Well, so 
in that transition period, I mean, when you're, you know, you, you, you go from ministry, you go into teaching, obviously with, with eighth graders, you know, it's probably a, an age where you can still shape and mold people. And, you know, you're kind of working with clay there to some degree that, you know, they haven't, they're not in this fixed mindset, uh, so to speak, as, as maybe adults are and, and uh, so forth. So, you know, that, that kind of leads me to the, the coaching component of it, where, you know, you've, you've had this experience for a few years of molding and shaping and teaching, you know, junior high age kids, um, but which I don't know, maybe that, maybe they think you're an idiot at that point too. <laughs> maybe it's, maybe it's hard. No, I think, I think your perception is right, Brandon. It, it was uh, the way I look at eighth graders are 13, 14 years old. And I think that's the last year of their life where they are somewhat still interested in an adult's opinion of them. Yeah. It's like they're not, t- some of them are already past it, but, and some of them are still pretty babyish about it, but they're for the most part, that 13, 14 year old is that last because see, teenagers have brain damage. All of them do. It's called teenage brain damage. And so they're just entering the brain damaged phase of life. And so I'm catching them right before they're totally damaged. <laughs> and so I had a fantastic time. I, I loved it. I, I know other people said, Jason, you're crazy for wanting to teach eighth graders. And I was like, listen, I, I love, I wouldn't want to teach high school. I wouldn't want to teach sixth graders, you know, or kindergarten for sure, but I loved it. And, 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 you know, uh, all things being equal, I would do that again today. I I really love it, but all things aren't equal because I was making $38,000 a year my last year as a teacher. And let's just suffice it to say, I make a heck of a lot more money than that now. And I don't think I can go back. (laughs) Uh, I hear you. Well, so we'll get to the coaching in just a sec. I I want to focus a little bit more on, on your ownership of these businesses and, and kind of, you know, how you launch those and where the ideas form from, because again, going back to my podcast of own, don't rent, I think that's, it goes to the, the, the kind of the core of identifying who we are and, you know, how we want to try to become successful in our lives and take ownership and create wealth and create opportunity so we can hopefully have a fulfilling life that allows us to help others and, and uh, you know, participate from a, a uh, you know, financial structure that, that, you know, you're not struggling on every front and, and dealing with every, um, you know, every financial, uh, blip on the radar that, that, you know, impacts, uh, wealth and happiness and so forth. So kind of going back to the business structure, when you look at that, I think the first business you created, if I'm correct, was a led light business. Well, so I technically it was my third, but, but so I can give you the first two is really quick. The first one I started in 1995 and it was a website design company. Now think about that. Think about that in terms of how old, like World Wide Web was brand new. I didn't know what I didn't know. Had I stuck with it, life would have been different, but uh, I, it was anyway, it, 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 it didn't last. It was like a, not even a year long and it folded. Uh, then uh, in 20, 10, I started, uh, I started, uh, this led lighting company that you're talking about and right about the same time. And actually it might've been my second company, the led company, but right about the same time, I also started a, uh, a lawn mowing company just to help kind of pay the extra bills. And you know what, now that I think about it, Brent, I, I hadn't thought about this in a long time. I think, yeah, I think the led company was the second company. And then I started the lawn mowing, the long, you know, lawn care company, 
right in that transition where I knew I wasn't going to be teaching anymore. So I kind of had to do that to make some extra cash. So, but yes, the big company, the one that, the one where I cut my teeth on entrepreneurship and started a real company was an LED lighting project company uh, called Energy Lighting Services. I started that in 2010. So how does that come about? I mean, how do you go from, again, ministry and teaching to suddenly you're involved in this LED lighting company? That seems like a 180 or, you know, a totally different environment. Well, we, I had a friend, um, I had a friend, his name was Bill and Bill and I knew each other through, um, one, our kind of a church affiliation. He didn't live close to me. He was like an hour and a half away. Uh, but we had, we'd been on retreats together and he was kind of an, he was an older guy. He wasn't quite old enough to be my grandfather, but he was an older guy and uh, kind of a mad scientist guy. And, and, um, you know, we were, we were pretty close as friends and he, he said to me, it was in February, March of 2010. He goes, Hey man, I've got this idea for this company that we need to start. And, and I'm like, what? I'm not, I mean, I, I, I did that, that, that web development company back in the nineties. I'm not an entrepreneur. And besides that, I love teaching. I don't ever want to leave teaching because this was, this was before I knew I wasn't going to be teaching. And he said, no, man, I got this idea for this hydrogen generator. I think we could put this thing together. We can invent this thing and it, it, it would be, it'll change the world. It's great. And I said, well, as long as I don't have to keep, as long as I can keep teaching. And he said, that's perfect. We'll do it. So we started the company. It had nothing to do with LED lighting. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the legal name of the entity that I still own to this day is still called Future Vision Energy. That was the name he came up with. He said, we're going to call it Future Vision Energy. We're going to do hydrogen. And uh, so we did it. We worked on it nights and weekends. It was kind of cool and fun. Didn't make any money at it. It was just an interesting hobby. He was a mad scientist. I was just the sales guy and the business-minded guy. And I could go get money if we needed the money, figure out where the money came from. And uh, we did that for about a year until... I had that conversation with my principal and my principal was like, Hey, uh, you're not going to be coming back next year. And that was when I had to make a decision. And I looked at bill. I'm like, dude, this business is going nowhere. We haven't made any money and I need to do something. So I'm going to take the business and I'm going to retool it into energy efficiency. I will leave the name as it is, but I'm not going to do it. And he didn't, you know, we parted ways as friends. It wasn't, it wasn't a big deal to him. He's like, I'm going to keep working on the hydrogen thing. I'll go do my own thing. And so that's great. I'm going to take it. Cause at that point I was the one that was doing most of the work and had the money and have everything kind of set up. And, um, I re redid it and, you know, still kept the name, but I, somehow I came across the idea of LEDs and I thought, well, maybe that'll work. Maybe I should sell LED lighting. It's future vision energy is the name of the company. Maybe I can energy lighting and I go, what, what can I do? And that's what I did. And then we rebranded it, the LLC uh, as an assumed name of energy lighting services in 20, I think 16 or 17. So we, we lived under the future vision energy brand for a long, long time, but we were doing lighting. And then we finally just said, okay, we're going to change the name like the, the, the marketing name to energy lighting services, but the LLC is still future vision energy to this day. So is that something where you went into businesses and retrofitted to led lighting or homes or all the above commercial just businesses? We just did commercial businesses. We specialize in hospitals. We did a lot of hospitals across the country. We did, um, we did a, a lot of uh, the Ascension Hospitals, which is one of the largest nonprofit healthcare companies in the world. We uh, we had we actually at one time had done more hospitals than the other company in the country. We Gap was another huge customer of ours. We did uh, lots of their distribution and fulfillment centers across the United States. 
millions and millions of square feet. And um, yeah, we just specialize in commercial buildings and we did LED retrofits, saved our customers a lot of money. And so how did you get the idea with hospitals? I mean, did, was that just a brainstorming session or, or you know, did, did you look at market data that led you down that path or... I would love to say that it was a brainstorming session, but it wasn't. I, I, you know, about a year and a half into the into the ex- experiment of being an entrepreneur, I brought in another uh, partner. Bill Bill stepped away, and I brought in another guy. And his background, and I brought him in mainly because I needed I needed a mentor. I needed somebody to help me, an advisor. And and uh, I brought him in, and come to find out, he had a very um, successful background in the healthcare industry. And so when we were just talking about who could use the lights, it's gotta be big buildings. It's gotta be buildings that are on 24 seven. Ah, okay. Healthcare hospitals. And so that's how we discovered that as an idea and lo and behold, it worked. That's fantastic. Wow. Well, so, so let's kind of transition over to the the, the coaching component. Obviously I'm seeing, you know, from a ministry and a teaching, you know, it seems like a lot of those, qualities and aspects that you're going to learn and develop your own skill sets and experiences from and shape yourself, you know, it, it is probably my guess is, is kind of what led to coaching, helping other people, you know, identify, you know, their strengths and weaknesses and, and uh, look at opportunities, but tell me a little bit about your coaching side. What do you focus specifically on? Uh, and, and, well, then I'll get into my questions, but I mean, I, I you know, every coach kind of has their own differentiator, so to speak of, of, you know, their, their value add to, to, you know, their, uh, their, uh, coaches. I don't know what you call that, but clients. <laughs> clients. <laughs> well, we, so, so my history as a, as a pastor and a teacher folds right nicely into the coaching aspect because I spent the last before I exited uh, Energy Lighting Services as CEO, I spent probably the f- three to five years prior to that coaching a lot of other entrepreneurs just out of the sheer, I love doing it. I would meet with them in my office. I didn't charge any money. I didn't have a coaching company. I was just coaching. Well, in the, my transition out of CEO role at my company, I my goal was I want to not be bogged down in this prison of entrepreneurship, like so many entrepreneurs are, I don't want to be in the weeds. I don't want to be the guy around which everything revolves. How do I do that? Well, let's sell the company. Well, the company wasn't worth anything because I was the guy that around which everything revolved. So it took me about 18 months to figure out how to disentangle myself from that and do something. I pull off something that I now refer to as exit without exiting. I was able to exit the company without selling the company. And so when I did that and I kind of came out on the other side, I went through first a, a big identity crisis. Like I'd been introducing myself as the president and CEO of this company for the last eight, nine years. What do I say now? So I went through the identity crisis and then I realized, I just kind of embraced the fact that I've always been a teacher. I've always been a, a mentor and advisor. And so what can I do to help other people do it? And I said, well, I'll coach, just go back to doing coaching. I love coaching. Well, what am I going to coach about? Cause Brant, you just asked me what's your, what's your thing? What do you do? Well, I said, well, I bet other people would like to figure out what I did and do it themselves. How do you exit without exiting? So now that is my entire coaching program. I teach exit without exiting. 
Uh, I teach people how to live the exit lifestyle, how to live a lifestyle as the owner investor of a business rather than the owner operator. I coach them through the four core strategies on what it takes to extricate yourself from the center of the business. Some people use that information to sell their companies, which is fine because they sell for higher multiple. Some people use it to just to do what I did and exit the daily operations and kind of go do other things. And some people use it to exit just the minutia so that they can focus on the bigger picture and grow their business to new heights. No matter what it is you want to do, the exit without exiting four core strategies works. And so that's what I do. So I've got a live group coaching program called the business accelerator that I take entrepreneurs through to teach them those four core strategies. And then I've got an exclusive mastermind called the exeter club, where it's a year long experience with the, all other entrepreneurs who are seeking to do the same thing. What's that next big adventure? How do I take this and turn this into more impact? So it's all about working less and making more. You know, you touched on one of the things as far as at least the, the, the course being a, a year long course or, or one one component of that maybe um, that's that kind of tees up a question that I have, or, or at least the experience that we've experienced to some degree with coaching is, you know, it, it it's felt in some respects on coaching that there is a, a significant value add, uh, but it feels like there's a, there's a term limit on that. You know, in other words, you know, you, you kind of go in and, um, coaches at times say, Hey, here, here are the, you know, three, four, five strategies or whatever they are. And once you kind of learn and identify what those strategies are, maybe there's a way to execute on each one of those strategies. And, and you, you, you've got to focus attention and time, you know, and uh, differently amongst those strategies. But once you kind of understand what the strategies are, do you feel like from a coaching perspective, you've, you've kind of, given all the value you can give in other words, you know, because isn't it incumbent upon me to, to, you know, deploy those strategies and execute on them successfully. And, and maybe if you say, Hey, you know, rent, you know, strategy one is you got to get out of bed at, you know, 6am every morning and do this, this, and this. And if I'm like, well, Jason, I'm doing that every morning, you know, you don't need to tell me that anymore. You know, now we're on step two. And once you get through the other steps, do you feel like on the coaching side that that you reach that point where hey, I've gotten the value that I can get out of this coaching, or is there always more to it? Is there always another layer, you know, specifically with your coaching? I mean, do you again, do you reach an end point with your client, so to speak? I think that that's a very, very good question. And it's one that I think most entrepreneurs don't think about. Um, my my belief based on my experience as one who's had a coach and who is a coach is that most coaches have about a three-year useful life um, because beyond that, you, you, you're not getting the benefit of why you need a coach to begin with. And then let me explain. Most, every, not every, not most, but every, every entrepreneur, every business owner looks at his or her business through blinders. You're, they're like this. So if everybody can watch and see what I'm doing, I'm putting my eyes up next, or my hands up next to my eyes. This is how you look at your business. You have no peripheral vision because you're focused on what your business is doing, how to do it, how to do it better, how to do it better than everybody else. And that's your job. Their job is to focus on that. So there's nothing wrong with it. That's just the way it is. What a business coach is supposed to be able to do is take those blinders and open that up 180 degrees. The business coach comes in with a perspective that you don't have. My job as a coach when you hire me is not to look at it the way you look at it, it's to look at it a completely different way. Good coaches should hear this frequently. Huh, 
Never thought about it that way. That's what a coach's job is. It's to get the client to think in a way they wouldn't have thought about on their own. It's not possible for them to think of it because they're looking through blinders. That's what coaches are for. Well, over time, that 180 degree per, uh, you know, peripheral vision begins to get myopic, just like the person they're working with. And they forget that there's other things to think about. So that's my belief. Not only do I believe it, but I've experienced it as a client of a coach. Um, you know, I was at the three-year mark with a great coach who changed my life. And when I didn't renew the contract, he was very disappointed. And I explained to him why, and he, he agreed, he understood, he got it. But, but here's what I needed in him moving forward. And this is what I think coaches, they don't do a good job of, and I'm trying to be better at this, is transitioning from the coach to the sounding board advisor. Um, so, so I've got clients who don't really need me to coach them as much as they used to, because they're, they're doing the things I told them to do. They're managing they're, they've eliminated the stress from their life. They've embraced delegation. They've done the four core strategies. Now it's, they just need an unbiased person who cares about them for advice. Hey man, I'm thinking about doing this thing. I'm thinking about investing over here. What do you think? That's what they need. And you should pay for that advice. You know, there are people in your life that could give it to you for free, but like we all know, you get what you pay for most of the time. So if you want good advice, you should be paying for it. I've got a guy in my life. We're good friends. He's a business coach. I'm well, he's more of a life coach. I'm a business coach. And we kind of swap like he, he, he take, like we went and had cigars the other night and he asked me some business questions like about creating entities and wealth generations. So things that he, he doesn't do, he doesn't know. And then I go out with him and I say, okay, here, I, man, I'm dealing with this thing, man. I got a mindset block. I need some help and he'll help me through that. And so in, in a way we're paying for that for each other because we're swapping that. But, but just to have somebody for free advice is you get what you pay for. But I think that you're right, Brant, coaches do outlive, you know, their usefulness at some point, but if done correctly, it could shift from coaching to more just an advisor calling up and saying, Hey, what do you think about this strategy and new concepts need to come from a coach, but just advice to make sure that you're thinking about it correctly could come from a coach. You could have a tenure relationship with the coach on that. Great points. So that, that kind of leads me to on, on the coaching component, you mentioned that, that you have a mentor that's a kind of life coach, um, you know, should you have, you know, two, three, four coaches? I mean, what, what's the best structure from a coach's, a coach's perspective of, you know, you've got a business coach, you got a life coach, you got a health coach, you know, what, it, what does that look like in your view? Well, and that's another thing I'm glad that you ask because most people don't think about it is everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs a coach, but most people need multiple coaches. So if you think about the highest performing athletes in the world, golf, football, basketball, you name it, they all have at least one coach, right? They have somebody who's showing them better form, better function and 99.9% .9 of those coaches are not as good as the person they're coaching at performing the activity. So don't think that you got to go hire somebody who's better at it than you, but you better hire somebody who's done it. You know, don't hire somebody who's never done it. So, so a coach, I think 
you know, look, look at Tom Brady, for example, right? He's been in the news a lot lately, retirement. Maybe he's not retiring. Who knows? Who knows what's going on with this guy? But he has a coach, you know, for most of his career was, was Belichick. He had, he had a coach that was just a coach, but he also had a strength and conditioning coach. He had a quarterback coach. He probably had a throwing coach, like just specifically how you hold and throw the ball. So for us in our life, think about the things that mean that, that are meaningful to us. Uh, uh, our interpersonal relationships. So you might need a life coach to help you with that. You might need a mindset coach to help you with mindset. I went through a mindset program with somebody uh, through six months ago, I guess. Phenomenal. And I didn't really want to do it. And I did it. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. So I've had, I've had at times three and four coaches that I was paying a lot of money to. I mean, they're over the last couple of years, I've spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on coaches because I believe that my life will be better with them than without them. And so I've got somebody who helps me with mindset. I've got somebody who just coaches me on business. I've got somebody who helps coach me on marketing. These are the things that you need. If you want to perform at a high level, you got to have a coach. What should you, what should you look for, you know, in, in a coach? I mean, is, is it, you know, just that, Hey, I, I feel like, you know, I connect with this person or, you know, how do you really assess that? I'll give you a, an example too, you know, um, and this is again, my mindset right or wrong. It just is who I am. But, you know, if I'm going to have, uh, you know, a trainer, a workout, you know, a personal trainer, they got to be better in better shape than me. I, it's just, I'm like, I, you know, either yeah. if you can't figure out how to eat right and what weights to lift or how to get healthy, you know, and you look the way you do and you're, you look worse than I do. You know, I'm not sure that uh, you're the right trainer for me, you know, using that mindset from a, a coaching perspective, how do you properly assess, you know, that you're the right coach for me or, you know, that the next person is the right coach whatever category that is, whether it's business health or, or what have you, what's your recommendation for our listeners on identifying the proper coach? Well, I think that, I think that the, the uh, analogy of a personal trainer, cause I have one of those two, I think is a good one. Um, but, but I think that, that, that can sometimes give a false impression of what a business coach should provide a good business. Like if you say, Hey, I, I want to take my company to $10 million and I need a business coach who's done, who, who has a company that's doing $10 million. Well, that's not always, uh, prudent or possible or even practical, but what you need to make sure of is you're not hiring a business coach who's never started a business. Like, has the person started a business? Do they know what it's like? I'm so sick of these Instagram gurus that are in their early 20s wanting to tell me how to make seven figures as an entrepreneur. Like, dude, what do you know, man? Like, how did, did you ever start? Did you do anything? You figured out the Instagram algorithm. Congratulations. So if I need a marketing coach, you might be my guy. But if I want to bring somebody in to show me how to maximize tax advantages and savings and how do I hire the right employees and how do I build my entities so that I have a perfect bail of protection from lawsuits and tax and taxes, I need somebody different than you, buddy. I don't need a 22-year-old guy on Instagram telling me how to run a business. But on the other hand, you can have somebody who came out of the corporate world who's fantastic in the corporate world and uh, is, is amazing, but you're an entrepreneur and a startup. So is that guy in the corporate world going to help you grow your business? Maybe, maybe not. You just need to consider what's the thing you need help with. So niche that down. I need help with strategy and analyzing ideas. Okay. A corporate guy could help do that as much as an entrepreneur guy because the strategies, the strategies are strategies. 
So I think identifying what you need is the most important thing. Just hiring a coach is, I applaud, I applaud that. You should hire a coach. But just hiring a coach is not enough. You need to make sure you need the right one. So you're in the mortgage business, right? So you could hire me to help you through how to structure your business so that you can do more business. Or you could hire somebody who knows mortgage law in a way that would help you sell and close more deals. So it depends on what you need, right? What do you need? Look for that. And I think you should always go with uh, with known entities. The way I hired my first business coach is not a way that you should probably do it. I just Googled five guys and interviewed them all and hired one. I don't, I don't think you should probably do it that way. I think you should probably work through referrals, work through networks, listen to podcasts, read books, find, did, did you use them? Did they use them? Do they have testimonials? Do they even know what they're doing? I'll give you a, an example. I, I uh, just took on a new client recently and the way he hired me, we had never met. Um, it was, he hired me a week and a half after we met. We'd never met before. He lives in a completely different state, but he came to an event in Tennessee. I was speaking at the event, small, intimate gathering, less than 20 people. I was speaking at this event. He booked a meeting with me. He said, I want to talk to you about coaching. He asked the right questions and he hired me like, bam, like that was a good way to hire a coach because he was there because he knew who had invited him. He was at a person's place he knew. And that person stood up and vouched for me. And then he talked to me. He's like, this guy's got something I need. And he hired me. He didn't delay. He didn't make any, he didn't wait. He didn't waver. He hired me. And now his life's going to be different. Awesome. Cool. So, so let's talk a little bit. I know we're, we're uh, running on time here, but I, I wanted to touch on two other things, you know, um, specifically, you know, own, don't rent, you know, from that, that mindset, that philosophy. Uh, I'm a believer that, that being an entrepreneur and, and a business owner uh, creates freedom and opportunities and, and goes down that ownership mindset path. Um, you know, when you look at opportunities from an entrepreneurial mindset, you know, how do you assess, you know, those opportunities and, and place uh, you know, maybe place them in a, you know, this is one that I want to devote time, effort, energy to. I mean, do you, do you do that based on purely financial? Is it, you know, relationship based? So how, how do you assess opportunities, I guess, with that mindset of ownership and with the mindset of, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur in this uh, venture or participate in some way? You know, what's, how do you go about that for the listener out there? So I think finances in the entrepreneurial world, that's, that's going to be a big part of it is you just got to, does the opportunity present enough financial upside to even worry about um, that? That's the main, <laughs> the main thing I think most people are going to think about first, but then the, the, the sideline issues around that are, is this something I like? Do I enjoy this? Do I know anything about it, et cetera. But, but I think if we break it, really break it down, how I assess an opportunity is based on the five, there are five keys to success. And this is actually what I talk about on my podcast, the root of all success all the time. And I bring guests on and we dive into these five keys, but the first is passion. And I won't go into a long explanation, but it's having the ability and willingness to endure for the thing that you're building. So if you look at an opportunity, you got to ask yourself, am I passionate about this? And not from an emotional standpoint, but would I be willing to endure the sleepless nights and the long days 
to make this work. So that's that's number one thing that you got to think about. Number two is, am I at the right place at the right time? Uh, you know, for example, if a new opportunity showed up and it's to sell fax machines, okay, right now we ain't at the right place in time for that, buddy. You missed that one. That's done. But if it's some new technology, it might be too new. It might be too new. Like you got to figure out our place and time. Where are we at? That's one thing you got to consider. Third thing is, do you know the right people? Is this an industry that you can get into? And do you have the right connections to make that happen? Because people make things happen. Your network is your net worth. And so if you don't know the right people in that, it's not going to be a good opportunity. And then the fourth thing is preparation. Do you have the know-how to pull this thing off? If you're going to get into biochemical you know, engineering, but you have zero background in that, but there's a great opportunity. Well, that maybe that's not a great opportunity for you. It might be for somebody else, but you don't have the preparation for it. You're not ready. You don't know what that's like. And then the fifth is plan. The fifth is the plan. And the plan is not the business plan. The plan is the financial plan. Do you have the ability, financial capability to get this thing where it needs to go to be successful? So if you take those five keys to success and analyze an opportunity against those, I think you'll be much better off than the person who doesn't. Fantastic. Great advice. All right, let's move into other uh, fun things, hobbies. You like camping, cars, motorcycles, and uh, cigars, it says here. Um, I love flying myself. That's that's probably my most recent hobby. I've gotten into uh, flying general aviation and uh, flying airplanes. I, I, I'm fortunate that I can fly to our branches and do that, but I, I, I'm a fan of motorcycles as well. So, but uh so I assume you, you got into those hobbies just as a kid camping and, and uh, motorcycles and such or what? Well, we, we camped my whole life. That was what we did as a family. Um, you know, and I just, I grew up doing it and loving it. And then when my wife and I were dating, she went camping with my family for the first time. She'd never done it. And, uh, and then when we got married, we just started camping. She liked it. And, you know, now we've got a, we've got a, a 34 foot travel trailer and we travel as we were most years, we're gone somewhere about a week, a month on, on average, I would live in it. If she let me, I wish she would, but, um, but the, what does that look just, like? Do you go to RV parks or are you out yeah. in open area? Yeah, we don't do the, we don't do what they call boondocking where you just pull up in the woods somewhere. And no, I, we don't do that. We go to, we go to RV parks and we travel and, uh, we became, we, I never went to a KOA campground ever as a kid. We always went to state parks and I didn't even know what KOAs were. I thought they were for the poor people who couldn't afford to go to the state park. Well, I, that's not at all what they are. They're RV parks and they're a lot more expensive than the, than state parks are. But, uh, we, we became KOA members several years ago and we now travel a lot through the, through the KOA system. Uh, we go to independent RV parks and, and uh, we, we just enjoy it. As a matter of fact, we're going somewhere a couple of weeks. We're leaving. We normally, by this time of year, we have already gone at least on one trip, but we just moved. Um, and I am, am in the process of buying another business. So we got a lot of stuff going on. So we haven't gone on the trip yet, but we're going somewhere in April. Um, you know, we're not going anywhere in May, but because I'm doing a mastermind retreat with my mastermind in May. And we're going somewhere in June, going somewhere in July, going, we got some every month we're going somewhere. So, and as far as the motorcycling goes, I didn't start riding motorcycles until I was an adult. Uh, but now I've, I've had, I've had, you know, a dozen or so motorcycles. I've got two now and I'm in the process of buying a motorcycle dealership, which is oh, wow. so exciting. Like, I can't, Andrew, I can can't you, wait. Can you disclose that yet or not? Uh, I can't tell you where or what it is, but it's, it's somewhere. And <laughs> I am, uh, <laughs> 
I am, uh, I, I'm under L we've signed the LOI the letter of intent is signed. The bankers are working on the finances. My, my, my CPA and account, uh, my accountant and my uh, attorney are doing the due diligence side of things right now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I've wanted to do this for a long time, but you know, when I, before I exited, I did I couldn't, there was no way I couldn't do it. But then when I exited, it was like, okay, what I'm going to do. Well, coaching of course is what I'm doing the most of, but I thought I got to have something else. Like what could get my juices flowing? So I started looking at motorcycle dealerships about a year ago and just started running down that yeah, path of trying to think about it. And I made offers on a few and nothing ever worked out. And this one kind of came back around right about the time I was about to make a big real estate play and the real estate play fell out at the last second and the dealership popped up out on the radar. I'm like, okay, this is a sign I'm going for it. And yeah, I don't know, maybe in 60 to 90 days, I'll own a motorcycle dealership. That's awesome. So are you, are you, are you personally into, you know, touring, sport touring cruisers, uh, dirt bikes? I mean, all the above what? So I have, uh, uh, I'm into just touring and, uh, cruisers. So I've got a Harley Davidson road glide, which is one of their big touring bikes, which is also kind of a cruiser. So I, you know, I've taken that across country and done things with it. And I've got a, a BMW K 1600 B, which is another touring, uh, but it, a touring bike, but it is a rocket ship. It's 168 horsepower, six cylinder motorcycle that with it is just like, it's like riding a flipping rocket ship, man. It is so unbelievably fast, but it's fun. Uh, I don't ride as often as I would like, but, uh, but they're both sitting out there in the garage waiting for me. And they tease me every time I walk out there and get in my car and drive my car. But uh, yeah, I love motorcycles. Any, uh, any thoughts or, or, you know, as far as uh, some of the older stuff or, or maybe like, um, you know, where you got triumph stuff that that's kind of the, the you know the old look but the the new version or or are you in any of the classic motorcycles at all I, I like everything motorcycle man i mean if it's on two wheels i'm interested in it because uh I, i've never i only rode dirt bikes as a kid but my friends owned my parents never let me have a dirt bike but i rode a couple dirt bikes as a kid and then didn't ride a motorcycle until i was 30 like I, it was just there was this huge gap but when i started riding i was like man this is what i was made for i love i love being on it but i I I'm going next weekend. I leave Thursday to go on a uh, dual sport trip in the Smoky Mountains here in Tennessee with a bunch of friends. First, it'll be the first time I've ever done that. And uh, some of the one, actually one of the bikes I'll be riding is one of the brands that are, is at the dealership that I'm looking at buying because they, they have dual sport uh, as part of the brand package. And so it'll be the first time I've ever ridden that brand and the first time I've ever ridden um, that type of bike. So it's, I'm like, I'm can't wait. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you should take up flying because then the other stuff will go away. I, I, I love it. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about this is that the dealership uh, that I'm looking to buy is within driving distance, but it's pretty far away. Um, and as so I told my wife, I said, you know, I need to go figure out how to get a small airplane. And that way I can fly back and forth every day. And she's like, nah, we're, we don't need to add anything, <laughs> anything at all to what you got going Next on. Next time I'm in Tennessee, we'll go flying. You'll change your mind on that. We'll fly. Well, a friend, a friend of mine has, uh, actually he, he was actually was my neighbor. I just moved, but, but he's got, a, he's got a helicopter and a, and a, and a, um, uh, a hangar at his house is actually on the FAA 
charts or whatever it is. And he owns an aviation company. And so he's, I've flown in his helicopter. I'm like, dude, this is what I need right here. This helicopter, he's got, a, it's a Bell Ranger or something. I don't know. I don't know helicopters, but it's a super swanky seven seater leather seats. The whole nice, the whole nine yards is yeah. it's really nice. Yeah, it's funny. I, I guy I bought my airplane from, uh, I, you know, I, of course, you always ask, well, what do you, why are you selling it? You know, and he, he said, well, you know, he, he did some uh, dirt racetrack stuff. And he said, well, I found that, you know, even though I have an airplane and I would fly to these small airports and they're all over the country, I was still 20 minutes away from where I wanted to go. He said, so I bought a helicopter instead. Now I can just land right at the track and, and do that, you know, and so I thought, oh, that's cool. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, Jason, um, it, I'll let you kind of wrap things up. Any, any uh, final uh, information you want to provide to listeners and, and how they get in touch with you and, and anything else you want to comment on? And other than that, we'll, we'll wrap it up. I really appreciate your time. It's been great. Well, thank you. It's good talking with you, Brian. I would like to, we, we need to get together and have a, uh, now just now that we've met each other and we're doing the show, we should get together and have just more conversational relaxed conversation. I like you. So uh, thank you for letting me do this. I, I would say to your listeners who are entrepreneurs, um, if, if you really want to take that to the next level, if you want to figure out, okay, how do I accelerate myself to the next level? I would really invite you to do my business accelerator because it, it'll teach you the four core strategies uh, which are delegation and it's one embrace delegation, eliminate stress, establish systems and processes and invest in people. And those are the four core strategies. And I do that through a live coaching engagement. So if you want to go to exit without exiting.com, that's exit without exiting.com. You can take a look at it. It's right there on my website and you can enroll And uh, for the listeners for your show. I'll, I'll be happy to give a discount. All you got to do is just reach out to me at the real Jason Duncan on Instagram or LinkedIn. I say, hey, I heard you on the Own Don't Rent podcast and I uh, want that discount. And then I'll give you uh, 500 bucks off the next one. So that's just for your listeners. Fantastic. All right, Jason. Well, thank you, uh, everybody. Again, uh, Own Don't Rent. It, uh, it's well worth it. Take control of your own destiny. Appreciate it, everybody. Have a great one, Jason. Thank, thank you. you.